Hello? It's Trey. Oh, right. I thought it'd be you. Your telephone's better. The last two times you've called me, I haven't gotten all the... Well, it's, 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 a, it's a landline. So. <laughs> okay, that helps. That's my friend Alice Moore. She was on the county school board where I grew up in West Virginia, in Charleston, West Virginia, in Kanawha County. I didn't know her back then, but I knew of her. There were a lot of people in the Valley who thought that she was a saint, but the people on my side of the tracks thought she was a whack job. And I'd kind of forgotten about her until I happened to see her again on TV. You know, if we don't take a stand now, we're not going to have anything to stand for in five years. It's now, it's never. It was 1996, and she was on this documentary called With God on Our Side on PBS. It was about the rise of the religious right in America. You know, it's been my policy ever since I began my ministry to avoid taking a partisan political stand. Part of it was set in Charleston. Back when I was a kid, the culture wars actually broke out into fighting in Charleston with bombs and guns. The Charleston Gazette said in an editorial today, the county is near anarchy. Earlier this week, a school in the community of Cabin Creek was bombed. The fighting was about school textbooks, if you can imagine. The school board tried to adopt new multicultural textbooks, and Christian conservatives didn't like them. The purpose was to, um, in fact, open the children's minds, their thinking to accepting various ideas which were contrary to whatever views they might bring from their home. And um, that wasn't acceptable to me. This is Alice in that PBS video. Here was uh, books from several different textbook companies. These were from major book companies all over the country that had a definite anti-Christian slant. These were not, uh, we weren't talking about ignoring Christianity. We were talking about attacking Christianity. Every selection in uh, a particular literature book would present Christianity in a bad light. Christians were always hypocrites. Only old people believed in God. Uh, The young people sneered at religion. Even Christ was mocked. And the books were full of it. It couldn't be by accident. It was by design. Alice was a preacher's wife. She led the fight against the books. She spoke for people in fundamentalist churches who were from around the Charleston area. People I knew went to mainstream churches. So I want to tell you how she and I got to be friends. I'm Trey Kay, and this is Us and Them. It's the podcast where we explore stories from America's cultural divides. Today's show is about me and Alice. And I want to tell you about this because it's kind of the basis for why I want to make this podcast. It's a big part of why I want to do stories about people who are divided by ideology. This whole thing with me and Alice started with this PBS documentary that I was telling you about. I was watching it with my wife, and every time Alice came on, I'd say, honey, this woman is crazy. But then somehow when she talked, she didn't seem that crazy to me. I read this particular little piece of prose, and what it was about was... uh, Here she's describing a section from one of the textbooks. uh, Someone talking about... Getting on the bus, going to work, you know, the routine day, everybody's on the bus, everybody's going to work, everyone's sitting there, no one's talking. It's a poem called At Lunchtime, A Story of Love, 
and it's by British poet Roger McGuff. And then suddenly he says, but he just suddenly got the idea, what if everyone just started taking their clothes off and everyone just started making love with everybody else on the bus? And we would we'd have this bus full of all these bobbing bodies, as, you know, something like that, and they would all just be making love on the bus, and uh, then what if this just spread all over the world, and this is what, you know, the, every, um, every bus, everywhere, people would be taking their clothes off and everybody would be making love. Back in 1974, Mrs. Moore read this poem on a local news show. When she finished, she looked straight into the camera and spoke to the TV viewers in our area. Then I said, it's your decision. You decide what you think about this, and you need to let the school board know how you feel about putting this in your child's classroom. As I watched Alice Moore share her views, I was hearing them in a way that I hadn't 20-some years earlier. I I was getting her point, but it wasn't being filtered by the views of people from my side of the town who thought she was a kook. To my surprise, she didn't seem as nutty as I'd remembered. We're told that a child can't pray in the classroom, that the Bible can't be read in the classroom, that a picture that hung on a wall for 30 years that happens to be a picture of Christ has to be taken down, that the Ten Commandments have to be taken off the wall of school buildings. That's a recent change. Mind you, I didn't agree with Mrs. Moore's point of view, but I found myself feeling for her. The Kanawha County textbook struggle happened a little more than a decade after the United States Supreme Court had banned organized prayer and Bible reading in public schools. Although I support those rulings, I can understand why Alice was troubled. And thinking about this, I had an aha moment. Alice believes her core beliefs are under attack. I have core beliefs. What if I truly felt that they were under attack? This was an epiphany that would eventually define my work. In 2009, I produced a radio documentary called The Great Textbook War, where I tried to understand what had upset my Kanawha County, West Virginia neighbors back in 1974. Our people are standing up again to preserve what little bit of sanity and society that we have left. I felt like I was standing still and the world was just flying in circles around me. I wanted to interview Alice Moore for the documentary, but back in 2008 when I first called her for an interview, I was a bit nervous. I thought that she was just going to dismiss me as a minion of the liberal media. But a few months ago, I asked her why she agreed to speak with me. Oh, well, the first time you called me, you know, there's this kid from GW. (laughs) That's what I thought. Here's somebody from GW, George Washington High School, of all places. Well, what is, what is, I mean, to people who don't know the Canal Valley, what's, what's a kid from GW like? Oh, well, in my case, of all the schools in the county that uh, did their protesting and complaining and, and entertained me a lot with some of their pictures and their representations of me, it was George Washington High School. Now, during the time of the textbook controversy, the students at my alma mater, George Washington High School, were relentless at lampooning Alice Moore in underground student newspapers. I remember one cartoon that had Alice like a crazy witch on a broom. So, to have you call up, and you went to George Washington High School, and that just fascinated me and the 
Plus, I hadn't talked to anybody in years about West Virginia who knew anything about it. I just hadn't talked about it much. And then when you show up or when you call me on the phone, and there's so much we could talk about. So, you know, that was interesting. And it's interesting to me to hear from your perspective what you were thinking when you were at GW. And uh, uh, I just, you know, and I thought about, I had seen the GW little newspaper where I was walking on water and had a halo over my head and things like that. And I really loved it. It was just a lot of fun. (laughs) Alice was more willing to talk to me than some of the other textbook protesters. One guy refused to do the interview after I admitted that I supported gay rights. Alice wanted to talk to me about getting saved. I I told her we couldn't talk about my soul. I I was a reporter and I was trying to be objective. But still she said yes to the interview. We talked so long on the phone, so many different times on the phone before you ever came down. So I felt like I knew you before you got there. And uh, we just, you know, we had commonality of background in the sense of experience. And so it was just, you know, I just enjoyed talking with you because uh, you knew what I was talking about. (laughs) Well, we have the commonality of experience in that we both lived in West Virginia. To uh, Okay, which way do I turn, right? Right. Okay. Alice and I are driving around Acton, Tennessee, where she lives now near her elderly mother. I have family in Tennessee, and I, I stop to see Alice when I'm in the area. Because after I finished the documentary with Alice in it, I didn't stop calling her. And I stopped pretending to be objective. And we wound up talking about politics and her family and my family kind of like friends do. That way. <laughs> no, that way, but you can go on down here. We'll go down here and turn. <laughs> on this visit, Alice and I cross over the border into Corinth, Mississippi, and she wants to take me to her favorite restaurant. Just for the record, I just want to make sure I'm clear. If you were to describe me as, um, you know, like my politics and stuff like that, I would be a... Oh, far left liberal. <laughs> and, 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 with, and, with and, some cracks, maybe. What, say that again? With a few cracks there in your liberalism at times. <laughs> and, and, and when a guy from. I mean, liberal in the sense of, as the leftists like to think of themselves as liberals. I'm not so sure it's all that liberal, but. Um, well, what does that mean? Well, that. Uh, Liberalism implies a willingness to an open-mindedness to some extent, as if you're the you know you're going to consider all sides of things. Whoa, turn right here. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't think you're always that open-minded on everything. Why do you say that? <laughs> experience, Trey. Experience with you. <laughs> I understand this comment to mean that she doesn't think I'm open to what she believes as evidence verifying the literal truth of the Bible. And she often sends me articles, books, and DVDs on the subject to persuade me, but so far I haven't come around to her way of thinking. Yet you did a good job on your documentary on West Virginia. And, um, you know, when I first heard it, I was kind of trying to pick the flaws in it. and But then when I kind of got past my own prejudice and I realized you really did a good job on that and you have a real ability to sort of set aside your own uh, prejudices and kind of hear what people are saying and and uh, you may not 
I don't sometimes I think you don't completely understand but uh, you did a good job of representing both sides of things I think yes straight ahead right up here and where are we going again oh we're going to Lloyd's so you can have a your first slug burger uh, what's a slug burger Alice has me turn into a parking lot of a Greasy Spoon Cafe with a wooden exterior. Inside, the place is bustling with characters. Several guys are dressed in camo and have long, bushy beards like the guys in Duck Dynasty. We find a table, and the owner stops by. And what's a slug burger? A slug burger. We're famous for him. His name is Lowell Gann, and he tells me that they're called slug burgers because some time ago they used to cost a nickel or a slug. It is actually ham and pork trimmings with a soy filler. And what you do is you mash it out and you pat it down and you deep fry it till it's crispy. Or another alternative, you can flat grill them. And a lot of people don't do that, but we have people request that every once in a while too. And you put it on a bun, mustard, pickle, and onion. Which one do you like better? The grilled. Mustard, pickle, and onion. Oh, you like the grilled better yes, than the I deep do. fried? You yes. do. We order one grilled and one deep fried so we can compare. We also order sides of cornbread, pinto beans, and fried green tomatoes. Just out of curiosity, how far do you think it would take me to drive? to find a liberal around here in Corn. <laughs> let, let me think a minute. Probably take you a good long drive. <laughs> um, we used to have some, um, and we still do, we have some Democrats, you know, go to church with us. <laughs> but a mama sort of changed their voting. <laughs> the waitress brings our order. Oh. This is great. I split it up for y'all, okay? Which is, which is which? All right. This one is the grilled one, and this one is the fried one. And then we got pintos, tomatoes, and broccoli cornbread. Let me get y'all some silverware. After our slug burgers, which were really tasty, by the way, we drove back over the Tennessee border, heading back to Alice's place. So the thing that would surprise many of the people who I know is... Why, why would I be friends with uh, a red state conservative? I mean, you, you are a red state conservative, do not like Barack Obama, um, big fan of Ronald Reagan, and why would I want to talk to somebody like that? And then on the other side, why would you want to talk to somebody who is a northeast blue state guy um, who, you know, voted for Barack Obama and really... Um, advocates and champions causes that are that that are considered liberal well because you need me try <laughs> you need me that was so obvious <laughs> so you were you were basically fulfilling a need to to keep the world right well <laughs> feeling the need to straighten out this young boy grown up at <laughs> Uh, on the hill and going to uh, George uh, to GW at George Washington High School. <laughs> that was like I was trying to do back in '74 when I was trying to help you out, even though I didn't know you then. But it's not so much that she pushes to straighten me out, although she does try to do that in hopes that I might find salvation in Jesus Christ before it's too late. 
But aside from that, we do enjoy discussing the issues that we face on this side of eternity. When we meet, we're kind of like diplomats from red and blue America who've exited their echo chambers for a respectful, spirited dialogue. Try and sorry if you smell a cat. Oh, that's okay. Back at her home, we sit down on a couch in her den, and we debate many topics. The role of religion in society, the virtues of Reagan conservatism, and whether or not President Obama is a communist Muslim born in Kenya. I think he wants to destroy the America that is. And, and so what, explain to me your vision of what you think President Obama wants. I think he wants to bring down America. What does that mean? What does it mean to bring he down America? He wants to make, he wants, I think he would like very much to reduce us to a third world country. It upsets me when Alice talks like this, not because I can't stand to hear the president insulted. It upsets me because even though I didn't agree with her view on the textbooks back in 1974, I thought that she was formidable and made some really good points. I mean, she got people to think. But this stuff about the president wanting to reduce us to a third world country sounds like lunacy to me. Why? Why would he want that? (laughs) I don't know. Why did, uh, why did dictators ever do what they do? Why did Hitler want to kill the Jews? You know, what would make him want to do that, Trey? You tell me what he was doing. I think Obama is destroying America intentionally. You, you, wait, 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 you just, you just, you just, it's your assertion that, that the president wants to bring the country to its knees. And when I ask you to do that, you equated him with probably one of the most horrible totalitarian <laughs> dictators in, in history. I didn't equate him at all. I didn't equate him at all. You asked me a question about why he's doing what he's doing. I said, why did Hitler do what he did? Okay. People do things because they're evil, and they want to do evil things. But so, I can well, tell okay, you, well, let well, me well, tell well, you no, a no, truth. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. So President Obama is evil? He does evil things, I think. I think he's done evil things to this country. I think he's done bad things. You just mentioned him in, 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 in context with Adolf Hitler. No, no, you Is, did. It, no, you you did. did. I never I, did. I wouldn't have brought up Hitler and, and Obama. Our conversations meander all over the place without completing points. I mean, we don't settle how Obama is like Hitler before Alice moves on to other reasons not to trust him. His father's a communist. His stepfather was a communist. His his grandparents moved to Washington State in order to take their daughter and put her in a communist school. They have all of these communist connections. So you tell me why he wanted to do it. And so so he, he is a communist, too? Oh, it just, Alice, I'm just Alice, telling you Alice, the things Alice, that I hear Alice, on, that Alice, I hear on the news. My, my mother was a Catholic. My father was a Methodist. And I'm none of those things. My father, mother, and I think my stepmother and many of my other siblings are Republicans. I'm not. But, but I just don't know how that proves that not Barack true. Obama is a communist. I asked you I this. didn't tell you he is a communist. I, I, did, I didn't tell you that. I'm telling you only these people were communists. His association, he's had these associations in his background, and he said he wanted to fundamentally change America, and uh, I've got a book in there on, you know. Uh, Alice, um, last time you checked. You're wanting me to say, you're trying to put words into my mouth. I just don't know how you can stand to have this conversation. That's my editor, Catherine Winter. I don't begin to have the patience. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like her. I, I, I see that she's a likable person in many ways. But this, these conversations where you're just going around in circles and she she clearly isn't listening to you and she isn't interested in hearing your point of view. She's like, it sounds to me almost like she's reading points off a, a list of bullet points or like she has a script that she can't get off of. Well, I mean, she's a person who has... 70 some years of kind of steeped into a way of thinking. You know, I, I can tell you that there are people who I have met who are less open minded than she is. Yeah, I've seen some of them on your Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, well, when I get down and think about it, I, I feel like if we're not going to listen to these people, if we're just basically going to write them off, I feel like we're writing off maybe half of our country. So so you've got you listening, but I don't think Alice is listening to you. But I'm not so sure she isn't. I think that, yeah, I mean, she's engaged in a debate with a liberal, and not, not only a liberal, but somebody who doesn't share her religious point of view. And I, I, I feel like she almost kind of feels like she's in mortal combat. But I think on another level... She likes me. She cares about me, and I think that in a way she might be listening in in a in a in another way, in a, maybe a deeper level. The first time you played this audio for me, I just shook my head and I just thought, "Oh my God, how can you stand this?" So it's been kind of fun to hear some of the other conversations that you've had with Alice, where she's she's sweet, she's endearing. Did I ever tell you the story that she? Um, was thinking that my son had never seen a, a cotton plant, and so they were. The cotton was was in bloom there in, in in Mississippi, and she went out and pulled a, cut off a, a you know a cotton ball and mailed it to my son, and I, I remember thinking, well, that that was kind of wonderful. I mean, he'd never seen anything like that. And you told me that the first time you met her mother, who was I think in her nineties, Alice's mother baked you an apple pie. She did. She did. She baked me a, a whole apple pie. I remember when I was riding back to New York, I think I ate the whole thing in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Alice does make me mad sometimes, and I make her mad. Sometimes she says, I break her heart because she thinks I'm so lost and confused. But the person I disagree with is truly sweet Alice. I've met some of your family, and, and uh, I'm glad that you have such a, I think you have a happy home and family, and, and uh, that makes me happy for you. I'm really glad that you do, and, and uh, but, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, categorize you exactly, Trey. <laughs> well, give it a give it a shot. Well you're young enough to be my son and, and I didn't know you when you were this little kid, but I almost felt like I did. I can just almost see you on that school bus driving up or going up to the school and seeing those protesters out there and and uh, I could almost say I just almost think of you like one of my kids, except I don't think of you as being, you know, a, a kid. You're this grown-up man that I enjoy talking with. I feel like friendships like mine and Alice's are rare. I read a Pew study the other day that said an awful lot of us surround ourselves with people who think just like we do. 
A majority of conservatives and almost half of liberals said, most of my close friends share my political views. And it's easy to get all your news from sources that bolster your preconceptions. So I I think you're making a really good case in the piece that America's polarized. Here's my editor, Catherine Winter, again. I think it's probably pretty well established that America is polarized, that people are divided. And what I'm not hearing here is why I should care about that. Like, what difference does it make if we live in camps and never talk to each other? Why would the world be a better place if we didn't do that? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like it just grates on me to hear Americans speaking so poorly and, 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 and in a dismissive way about other Americans. I, I, I feel like I hear Rush Limbaugh belittling people, and I feel like I hear people in my blue state camp belittling other Americans. And I just, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like if that continues, I just feel like we're not going to get anything done in this country. So I feel like this is a discussion that I've heard before, that, that people have this sort of gut feeling that it's it's not good for us to be divided. And I, I feel like we need to make a more concrete explanation of why it matters. What What is it that would be better? What specifically is it that would be better if if we if we were better able to listen to each other or less afraid of each other. And I feel like, Catherine, I love you, and I feel like you're making my head explode. I mean, we're trying to get this 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 piece done in time for our launch, and I, I thought I'd nailed it, and now you're telling me that I'm not? I haven't done that? <laughs> I think it's a wonderful story about you and Alice, and I think it's charming, but I think it actually has a deeper meaning and and that we could make that deeper meaning more clear (sighs) all right i'll see what i can do i was planning on going to a book launch that night and i knew i'd see my friend jonathan zimmerman there so i thought i'd ask him about this i talked to him a lot about my work he's a professor at nyu and he writes a lot about the culture wars the event was really crowded and a lot of people wanted to talk to john but I did get a moment with him. We just had an edit today, and Catherine, my editor, gave me a question that stumped me, uh-huh. and I just was wanting to ask this to you to see if you could help me think through it. Uh-huh. It's, the question is, does it matter that we live in echo chambers? What good would come of people listening to each other better? I think that think? is the question. What do you, you know? think? I mean, I, I think that the, the, reason, the reason that it's a problem is that for us to be citizens of a common nation, we need a common language. And the more that we polarize, the more difficult that is. Our problems aren't Republican problems and Democrat problems, and they're not evangelical Christian problems or secular humanist problems. You know, they are American problems and they're shared by all of us, and they will require shared solutions. And the more that we talk past each other or simply to each other, the more difficult it's going to be to construct shared answers to these questions that bedevil us. I think that on many, many issues, people on the left and the right will never find common ground. But there are things we can agree on. John Zimmerman argues that we can't work together if we're just calling each other names. 
the most poisonous idea on the land is somebody that disagrees with you is either morally warped or ignorant. Now, I will allow that some of the people who disagree with me are both of those, right? The people that say that Barack Obama was born in Indonesia, right? They're ignorant. And yet, I would say that even in that case, I need to understand why they have fixated on this idea so strongly, why it appeals to them. Um, because even though they are wrong about that, and again, you know, observably and provably wrong, they're not wrong about everything. Nobody is. And my job as a scholar and citizen is to figure out where this idea fits in their worldview. And if I simply dismiss them as cretins and ignoramuses, I won't be able to do that. Big help. Yeah, good. And I need to go too. Thanks, John. Good to see you. With this podcast, we're hoping that we might be able to have a different kind of conversation about the things that divide us. We're going to try something that's different than the ridiculing of John Stewart or Rush Limbaugh. And maybe something that gets beyond the shouting past one another or the one-upping the other guy that we've heard on cable news programs like Crossfire. The point is not to find common ground. I mean, maybe we will, but more likely we won't. I mean, people like Alice and me are not going to find common ground over whether the Bible is the literal word of God. But we can be friends. That they want because you're going to pay us back. Okay, Alice, Alice. Hey, but you know, the, no, 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 but, 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 but okay, we are we're, on the same side. We're on the but, same but, side but I just want to say something nice before I turn the tape off. I've enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I have enjoyed it too. I always enjoy discussing things with you. Us and them is not looking to change anyone's deeply held belief. We're just trying to find out what might happen if we take the time to listen to each other. You've been listening to Us and Them. Our show was written and produced by me, Trey Kay, and edited by Catherine Winter. Our show was mixed by Chris Julin. Michael Lipton and Tristan Lozow wrote and performed our theme music. Us and Them is made possible by the generous support of the wonderful people at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, with additional support from the CRC Foundation. Our stories that focus on West Virginia are made possible by a grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council. Us and Them was developed as part of the mentorship program of AIR. That's the Association of Independence in Radio. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Like us and let us know what you think of the show. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you grab your podcasts. And if you like the show, do us a huge favor and write us a favorable review. It can be a huge help. For our next Us and Them show, we're going to present The Great Textbook War. Satan is a roaring lion, and he's out to steal, kill, and destroy our children. Next time on Us and Them.